Good evening. This is Talking Sports with Evan, and it is Thursday, April 6, 2023, in this episode. And thank you so much for watching, tuning in, uh, watching it live, watching it later, listening to the podcast, which will be posted and available on my Substack uh, account pretty soon, shortly after I get done with you here today. Uh, thank Again, thank you so much for uh, tuning in and lots to talk about. Last week had Brandon Snide from WTMJ 620 Morning Sports Anchor uh, and producer for Steve's, Steve's Graffiti Show on the show. And we talked Milwaukee Brewers and Bucks. And a week ago, for the Bucks, anyways, things did not look that great as they were completely annihilated and embarrassed by the Boston Celtics. But a week later, the Milwaukee Bucks are the one seed in the Eastern Conference. The best record in the NBA. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Bucks and what that means to have that one seed in the NBA playoffs uh, throughout and why I feel it is a good thing, even though they, they won the NBA, NBA title as a three seed. The one seed is much better to have. We also talked about the Brewers, and they lost to the Chicago Cubs a week ago, four to nothing. And unfortunately, in that game, a lot of poor play from the past few years for the Brewers uh, was on display again. Couldn't get hits in big situations and whatnot. And oh, what a difference a week makes because now the Brewers have one of the hottest offenses in baseball, scoring. 10, 9, and 7 against the Mets, scoring 9 on Sunday against the Cubs. The Brewers are now sitting at 5 and 1, and uh, give my thoughts on the Brewers and where I can see the Brewers potentially um, going and why I don't feel we should be concerned about Corbin Burns just yet, even though he has struggled to start this season. And a week into the baseball season, and how are those new rules doing? You have the pitch clock, 15 seconds when nobody's on base, 20 seconds when there is a runner on base. How is that looking right now in baseball? Has it been a good thing? Has it been a bad thing? And the average time of a game is down. How far down? I'll get you how it was through the first four games of the season as compared to last year. And we even had a game this year go less than two hours. So... Pitch clock seems to be working, and I want to get your thoughts. If you're watching this live, you're listening to the podcast, whichever, get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the pitch clock and the new rules so far? Do you enjoy it or do you dislike it? You can tweet at me at Evan Witt Sports. You can comment as well if you're watching it live. Um, let me know what your thoughts are on the pitch clock and how that's looking right now for Major League Baseball. So, And then WrestleMania. WrestleMania happens last Saturday and Sunday. Then we get the Raw after WrestleMania. And I want to get your thoughts on that. I'm going to give my thoughts and my my uh, opinions on WrestleMania in general. And why I'm kind of uh, a little uneasy now for the direction that WWE is going to go in now. But let's start with the Milwaukee Brewers, 5-1, and one, uh, one of the hottest teams in baseball through the first week of the season. After game one, as I mentioned, um, it didn't look like – it looked like a lot of the same 
from last year with the Brewers. Um, as I mentioned, uh, leading into the show, um, couldn't get runners over and, uh, from scoring position, and they seem to lack being able to get a big hit and the emotion and whatnot. And the Brewers now sit at five and one and tied with the Braves for best record in the NL, uh, winner of five in a row. And the Brewers are doing it through the young guys. They are doing it with the young guys. Garrett Mitchell has been great so far. <clears throat> Coming up with the walk-off home run, uh, Joey Weimer caught up Saturday, yeah, Saturday after Luis Arias gets hurt in opening day with a hamstring injury. Joey Weimer gets that caught. Joey Weimer has been a great asset so far, both at the plate and in right and center field. Bryce Terang, they they traded, they they traded, uh, you know, their second baseman Colton Wong from the last couple years, traded him to Seattle. Why? Because they felt confident and comfortable that Bryce Terrain could handle that second base position. And he has been just outstanding thus far. Defense with the bat in his hand, stealing bases. The Brewers, up until this season so far, the Brewers have typically been a station-to-station team where they don't really get aggressive on the base pass, and they just kind of wait, and they're station to station. Since the um, elimination of the shift, the pitch clock, the bigger bases, the Brewers are very aggressive on these base pass. And when you have Weimer, Terang, and Mitchell, who can fly, mix that in with uh, Anderson, who has just been outstanding thus far for Milwaukee, a great find. Uh, Matt, Matt Arnold deserves a ton of credit for picking him up. Great player a few years back, had some injuries, and he's looking like a great player once again. Starting pitching, aside from Corbin Burns, has been outstanding. The bullpen has done its job as well, and I am very happy with what I've seen this season thus far with the Brewers. And yes, I know, I understand the... uh, Baseball is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I always talk about don't get too high on the highs. Don't get too low on the lows. Just enjoy the season as a whole. But I do know this. As of right now, when Luis Urias is healthy enough to play baseball again for the Brewers, I don't know where he plays. I really don't know. Because you, you, you brought Weimer up when you put him on the I.L., and Weimer has been an outstanding person in the outfield. Terang has done a great job thus far at second. Anderson has done a great job at third base. The, the Brewers defensively are very good. And I made the call um, two years ago. Yeah, 2021, I made the prediction that the Brewers were going to hit a uh, – not hit, the Brewers were going to – throw a no-hitter at some point in the 2021 season. Watching this Brewer defense so far, I think they're going to throw a no-hitter once again this year. Last year, I thought it was going to be Corbin Burns. This year, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be Woody. I think Woodworth is going to get a no-hitter this season for the Brewers. I think he's going to have a game where he just completely dominates and the defense uh, stands firm. And uh, Winker has been a great addition. I 
like the Winker edition. Uh, you know, they moved on from Hunter Renfro, and then Winker comes in, and don't really know what we're going to get from Winker because of injuries. And to me, it was a better move. What uh, Renfro is a great power hitter for Milwaukee, but he struggled with those guys in scoring position, those clutch situations. But Winker has shown that he can get base hits in big situations, and he's more uh, consistent with the bat in his hand. Yes, uh, Renfro is a better defender than Winker is at this stage of his career, but Winker, to me, is the better player. And I'm happy to see the team that the Brewers have. And I know a week from now, this can all change, and the Brewers can lose five in a row. And now we're sitting at five and five and wondering what is going wrong with the Milwaukee Brewers. But right now, enjoy it. I think it's great. Now, there are a couple concerns early on for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, One, I'm not really that concerned about um, long term. I think he will get it together eventually, and that's Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns has been hit pretty good thus far this season. He's not looking like the Cy Young candidate pitcher that we all expect him to be and it's it is a little concerning early on but i think it's he's has a 964 era through two starts six strikeouts a 1.71 whip and uh has thrown 9.1 innings in two starts he has walked five given up 10 earned runs 11 hits and that's in two games. He gave up six against the Mets, four against the Cubs. Again, I'm not overly concerned yet about Corbin Burns. I think he figures it out. I think maybe that the, the, he's one of the, a pitcher that usually takes his time throwing the ball. Maybe he's still struggling with the pitch clock a little bit, getting that under control. His cutter's just not there yet, but he will be having a run very soon, maybe as, as recent as his next start, where he is just dominating throwing the baseball. So the other issue I have is Christian Yelich. I don't know. So it's easy. It was, it's been easy to blame the knee. He has, you know, the knee injury hasn't been the same since yada, 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 but through this season thus far, he has 23 at bats, has five hits, 11 strikeouts. And 23 at bats. He's walked five times. He's batting 217 with a 357 on base and a 261 slugging percentage. Yelich is not playing well. He's not seeing the ball well. He's not swinging the bat well. He is struggling very much right now. And it's very worris- worrisome because is this is he going to be 2020 bad? We went 205, 356, and 430, and 788. Is that where he's going to be? Or is he going to be able to turn it around and be right around where he was last year? I I think the 2018, 2019 Yelich is gone for good. I I think that was just a flash in the pan. I think that was just an abnormally for his career. I don't think the kneecap honestly had anything to do with his struggles as of late. Because if you look at Yelich prior to that year, you know, he's four home runs, nine home runs, seven home runs, 21 home runs, 18 home runs. And then he jumps up to 36 and 44. And then he's at 12, 9, 14. 
So home runs are right around where he was early in his career. Um, he's typically been about a 280 hitter. Guy who uh, who can draw walks. 88 walks last year, 80 in 2017, 72 in 2016, 70 in 2014, 80 in 2019, 70 in 2021, 46 in 2020. So yeah, he can definitely draw walks. I just he just doesn't have the bat, and I I don't think the knee again. I don't think it's the kneecap. I don't think the kneecap has anything to do with what we're seeing with Christian Yelich at this particular moment. And we're never going to see um, the MVP Christian Yelich ever again. Now, hopefully, we can get product productivity like we did last year with him batting out of that one spot. But the thing is. Stop batting him third in the lineup. There's no reason at all to ever play Yelich in the three-hole again this season. Play him at the one. He draws a lot of walks. He gets on base. He can steal bases using his speed. Take advantage of that. When you're batting him in the three-hole, you're expecting him to drive in runs. And guess what? He's not that player anymore. So moving on, the time clock. The, the pitch clock, I guess I'll call it. I think through, through yesterday or the day before, there have been 10 pitch clock violations, which is an automatic ball, or if you're a batter and you violate, it's an automatic strike. But through four games in 2022, the average game time was three hours and eight minutes. And the final average of the year is three hours and four minutes. Through the first four games through this past Sunday, we're at two hours and 38 minutes for the average pace of game. 30 minutes have pretty much been cut out of games. And the big thing is the reason why they have the the pitch clock and all that is they want to eliminate all this dead time where guys are just standing around not doing anything. Pitchers are adjusting their pitching, their uh their their hat, their their glove, the batters are adjusting their batting gloves and stepping out after every other pitch and having to readjust and things like that. That bogs down the game quite a bit, as we've seen. We've eliminated all that extra time for guys to touch up on themselves and their hats and all that. We've eliminated that. It's shaved 30 minutes off the game. That that's that's quick. Now I haven't been to a game yet this year, and I'd love to know. And I should have asked uh, buddy of mine was at opening day, and I forgot to ask him uh, his thoughts on the pitch clock being in attendance at the game. But I, I kind of wonder what the the thought is for those that are at the game. What? What are your thoughts if you're at the game? What are your thoughts with the way the pitch clock has been? Because watching on TV, it's been much quicker, much faster pace. Games are getting done. There was a game that got done in one hour and 57 minutes the other day between Miami and Minnesota. So what are your thoughts if you're in attendance? Do you mind the the shorter time during the game? Because I know part of the experience at the ballpark is being able to wander around the park and things like that in between innings before first pitch, things like that. But I'm guessing with the pitcher, uh, the quicker pace, it's probably harder to do that. So 
at Evan Witt Sports. Find me at Evan Witt Sports and let me know your thoughts so far on the pitch clock for the uh, 2000, excuse me, 2023 Milwaukee base of the, the Major League Baseball season. Moving on to the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks clinched the one seed in the Eastern Conference. In fact, the best record in the NBA a week ago, they get completely annihilated and embarrassed by the Boston Celtics. And then the very next game, they completely annihilate and embarrass the Philadelphia 76ers. And without Giannis, Middleton leaving early, without Grayson Allen, without Pat Connaughton, the the Bucks are able to clinch that one seed by beating the Chicago Bulls after the Celtics lost to Philadelphia the prior night. And the the number one seed in the East now goes through Milwaukee. Number one seed in the NBA goes through Milwaukee. And, of course, they beat the Wizards, too. I'll throw that in there as well. But here's what I like about the Bucks having the one seed. And, yes, I know the Bucks won the championship as a three seed. Everybody knows that. We don't need to remind me. Yes, I'm well aware of that. But the thing I like about the Bucks having the one seed is in the first round, you're going to get the winner of the 7-8 matchup for the NBA plan, whoever that is. Then in the second round, you're going to get the winner of the Cavaliers and the Knicks. And no, no disrespect to the Cavaliers or the Knicks. I don't mean any disrespect to the Cavaliers or the Knicks at all. But the Cavaliers and the Knicks, I don't think, are quite ready for prime time when it comes to the NBA the NBA playoffs. I don't think they have them dogs or younger teams still getting their footing going. And I think they're going to be, you know, the, they, there'll be a tough matchup, but I like Milwaukee's chances in that second round. And then you're not going to see Philly or Boston whoever gets to the Eastern Conference Finals from that 1-2 match of the 2-3 matchup, you're not going to see them to the Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows what te- those teams look like, whoever gets there, or maybe one of them gets knocked out early on. If the Bucks were that 2 or 3 seed again, they if the 3 seed, they're playing that 6 seed, um, which, let me pull up the NBA standings really quick. Right now, if the Bucks were the three seed, the sixth seed would be the Brooklyn Nets, who are not as good as they were, but they're still a tough team. They play tough basketball. They're going to give everything they have for the four to five or six games you're going to play them. Then you're going to get likely the loser of the seven eight game. Um, playing the winner of the 9-10 game. So the Heat or the Hawks, you're going to get the Heat, Hawks, Raptors, or Bulls as a two seed. And then the next round, you're playing the two seed or the three seed more than likely. So for Milwaukee to get to the NBA Finals in the East, if they were a two or three, they're going to have to beat uh, Boston or New York. And then they're going to have to beat, I mean, Boston or Philly. Then they're going to have to beat Boston or Philly in the Eastern Conference Finals to get to the NBA Finals. Those are tough matchups. The one nice thing that the Bucs didn't have to do in uh, 2021 when they won the NBA championship is they did not have to worry about playing Philly because they got knocked out early by Atlanta. 
So after you got done with the seven-game neck-and-neck series against the Brooklyn Nets, you go play Atlanta. If they would have had to play Philly, who knows what happens. You're going to probably play a game seven in Philadelphia, and who knows what happens there. But it matched up perfect for the Bucks in 2021 to get to the NBA championship based off the matchups they had. And if you're that one seed, you're going to have the, the better matchups to get there as well. Um, but I, I'm excited. The MVP race, I don't really care about. I'm just annoyed about all the, the narratives people are throwing out there. It's like Giannis doesn't exist when it comes to the MVP. Joel Embiid, according to Mike Greenberg, uh, is going to get his vote because he doesn't have one yet. And the way he acted last year after he didn't get it, he's going to vote for Joel Embiid. Um, it seems like it's Jokic or Embiid only. Giannis has no chance to win it. And I honestly don't think Giannis is going to win another MVP, unfortunately, in his career. The, the, the NBA voters and the media, they seem to always move on uh, year to year. Um, it was Westbrook. It was Harden. Then it was Giannis. Then, now it's Jokic. Then it's going to be Embiid. Then it's going to be John Morant. I just think they keep moving down and down and down the line, giving who, you know, I think it's predetermined who they want to vote for before the season even starts. And if that player has an MVP-like season, they're going to get the award no matter what, no matter what anybody else does during the season. Because to me, Giannis should have been a three-peat winner. When Jokic won it his first year, Giannis was even better than his MVP seasons prior to that. He was even better, in my opinion. But he didn't get any consideration because he just won the past two. And we can't have a 3 P champion because Larry Bird's the last one to do that. And heaven forbid somebody does what only Larry Bird has done or the last person to do it. So, But I'm excited for the playoffs. Bucks two games left to uh, Friday night tomorrow night. It doesn't look like they're playing anybody. We'll see how they play with, with Toronto, but it's interesting to see uh, what rotations and minute deviations and whatnot the Bucks play with in the uh, NBA Eastern Conference playoffs. So moving on, WrestleMania, the biggest wrestling pay per view of them all. In L.A., in Hollywood, WrestleMania goes Hollywood. It's now a two-night event, which I don't mind. I, I think I like it a little better than the uh, one night where you take about eight to nine hours of wrestling, it seemed like, because you have so many matches jam-packed into one card. The pre-show starts at, like, 4. The main event doesn't start till almost 11 Central Time. And next thing you know, the event isn't over till after midnight. And it's it's a long show for especially those in attendance. So overall, I like the event. I like the matches overall. I think the two worst matches of the of the weekend was your Austin Theory and John Cena, mainly because how predictable it was. And then Trish Stratus, Lita, and Becky Lynch defeating Damage Control. I think that was probably one of the worst matches of the weekend, and mainly because Trish Stratus and Lita. They're past their prime. They're 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 middle forties, slow in the ring. Doesn't look like they have anything left. 
They had no business being in that ring Saturday night with Becky Lynch, Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Leo Sky, especially uh, especially Lita. Lita looked slow. She looked extremely slow and like she was unable to perform some of her most basic moves that she used to do. But I think the men's WrestleMania showcase, the Fatal 4-Way Tag Match, was probably one of the best matches of that night. Uh, Rhea Ripley and uh, Flair, definitely one of the top matches of the night. And the tag match, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and beating the Usos, great outcome of that match. It was just great fun to watch. And Pat McAfee defeated The Miz. That's three minutes and 40 seconds that was completely wasted that you could have put into the 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 WrestleMania showcase match because he only gave them eight minutes and 30 seconds to work with. And that's eight minutes. That could have been an additional 340 there. So now you're in the 11-minute range. And I think you were asking those teams to do too much in such a short amount of time. Mysterio and Dominic turned out to be a good match, I feel. And I, I think they did the right thing with Mysterio winning. If Mysterio was retiring and they had Dominic uh, lose to Mysterio, then I would have been a little bit more mad about it. But I think they did the right thing by having Mysterio, uh, Ray Mysterio, win that match. Night two of WrestleMania was quite exciting as well. Aside from Brock Lesnar and Omos, um, outside of that, great show. Uh, the women's tag team showcase, what I feel was a pretty good match, except it kind of ended kind of abruptly. They only gave them about eight minutes to work with again. Again, you're putting four tag teams in the ring with each other, and you're giving them eight minutes to work. Gunther defeating Sheamus and Drew McIntyre, that got 16 minutes. I think that should have got more time, personally. Um, that match, which is probably the match of the night. Uh, Bianca defeating Asuka, another great match. I I wish they would treat Asuka better uh, than they do. And then you had kind of a take a break. Go to concessions, uh, get some more beer segment of Snoop Dogg defeating The Miz. It's supposed to be Shane McMahon and The Miz. Shane McMahon Taurus quad, and then Snoop Dogg had to run in and save the day um, because of that. Edge, Finn Balor, the Demon, I think was a great match. I honestly think Finn Balor personally should have won, but I get why they had Edge win. It was Edge's time to complete that story. Um, So, of course, they have Edge get over there. And then Reigns defeating Cody Rhodes with help from Solo Sokoa. It was a great match, 34 minute, uh, 34 and a half minute match. It was fun to watch. It was a good match. Predictable finish, unfortunately. I I feel Hunter Triple H, who is was the head of creative. I feel he is a little too. I don't scared is the right word, but I think he's a little too scared to pull that trigger with Roman Reigns losing the belt. Because it's been a great storyline, the the bloodline and all that. It's been a great storyline. And once you pull that trigger, you can't unpull it. Once that, once the toothpaste has come out of the, the tube, 
there's no putting the toothpaste back in. Once you take the belt, belt off the of Roman Reigns, there's no going back. And I think he, I think that worries him a little bit. I think Cody was the right person. I think Cody should have got over. It should have been his moment at the grandest stage of them all. Do something his dad unfortunately never did because Vince McMahon, when his dad was a wrestler, treated Dusty Rhodes like garbage. But I, I think they should have taken the belt off of Roman Reigns personally. And unfortunately, Raw the next night, things are going to get very bad, I feel, because now it looks like Vince McMahon is truly back in charge of creative. And Vince McMahon is going to do what Vince McMahon wants to do. The show looked chaotic. It was made no sense. Only 33 minutes of wrestling the entire night. Brock Lesnar's a heel again. It was just a bad, ugly uh, night of Raw. And we'll see what SmackDown looks like. So... Those are my thoughts. And then Aaron Rodgers is still a Green Bay Packer as of today. Nothing has changed. I'll get more NFL talk and NFL draft talk in next week. Talk some Lamar Jackson and uh, NFL draft wants and needs and all that. With that said, have a great rest of your night. Have a great weekend and happy Easter to those who celebrate. I'll get back at you next week.